Let's open our Bibles to 1 Timothy, chapter number 3. We're going to begin at verse number 8 momentarily. I want to just remind you, first of all, of where we're at in the, in the historicity, the historical structure of the New Testament. Uh, the Apostle Paul has been detained for four years by the Roman government. Two of that was in Judea itself. Two of it was in Rome, awaiting his imperial review. But all of that is now past. He has been released, clearly found not guilty on all charges, but he got a chance to talk to Emperor Nero. It apparently didn't take because history tells us that Nero was not converted to the belief in Jesus Christ. Uh, but he is now free to travel around again. And based on some things that we saw in his, his letters written during the time he was at Rome, his intention was to go back to the Ephesus area, go off to Colossae, and to head up into Macedonia. And I believe after that, his intention was to follow through with heading out to Spain and spending a little time there. So my guess is that sometime in the early part of 63, he began that sort of itinerary. Uh, he drops Titus off or sends Titus to the island of of Crete and tells him to do the things we'll be reading about in the book of Titus next. Uh, he probably stops by at Ephesus, uh, drops Timothy off there, and then he heads off to Colossae, checks in there. I believe he probably then came back to Ephesus and from there took off to Macedonia. And somewhere later in 63, he writes this letter back to Timothy to reinforce the instructions he gave him when he left a few months earlier. And one of the big things was to make sure that the church at Ephesus, and I believe by extension all the different churches in Asia province, had solid leadership, solid spiritual leadership in the form of deacons, uh, excuse me, uh, spiritual leadership in the form of elders or bishops or uh, we can call them overseers, episcopal members, uh, lots of different ways to describe them. I like shepherds the best for that. Uh, but we also have a need in those churches for the support leadership, uh, those that will take care of the physical, logistical matters in a congregation so that the spiritual leadership can stay focused on things like prayer and Bible study and uh, preaching and teaching and uh, growing the maturity of a local congregation. We talked about those spiritual leaders last time. Today, we shift to the logistical support personnel, uh, people that we will refer to as deacons. And so let's dive into the text itself. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 8. 
Deacons, likewise, must be dignified. So number one, let's talk about the word deacon. It's actually a Greek word that's been anglicized. So it's just been taken over into the spelling of our English. Uh, the actual Greek word diakonos comes from a, a verb that has to do with running after stuff, running to take care of business. Uh, we have a similar sort of word that we've used in society here in the West. Uh, I don't hear it as much anymore, uh, but the idea of a gopher. I go for this, I go for that. Uh, so the word deacon is actually representative of the gophers in the church. They run after the things that need to be taken care of. And particularly when we think about the office of deacon, the leadership position of deacon, these are the ones that are kind of in control or in charge of making sure that matters are taken care of. Uh, in the Old Testament model of the tabernacle and then later the temple, you have the priests who are focused on the spiritual issues, the offering of the sacrifices in a prescribed manner. Then you had the Levites who took care of everything else. You know, the provision of the wood, the cleaning up of the ashes, uh, the taking away of the junk that was left over when you butchered animals, uh, making sure that the facility was kept functioning in top form. The Levitical time, our Levitical concept of the Old Testament is what we're talking about when we refer to the deacons of the New Testament. So they still need to have a high standard. Uh, when we were talking about the shepherds or the overseers, the bishops, uh, the, the pastors of, of the church, volunteer and paid staff, uh, we know that they needed to be top-notch guys. We know that they needed to be stable in every aspect of their life. Well, those that take leadership roles in the diaconate, that is, in the deacon work of the church, they too need to have stable lives. And so that's where Paul is going to focus his attention for Timothy and, by extension, for us. So deacons, likewise, meaning just like the bishops, just like the overseers. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified. That is, they must be respectable. They are not fringy people. Uh, they are not double-tongued, meaning they don't say one thing in one context and then an opposite thing or a different thing in another context uh, just because they're messing around uh, with uh, the, the people that they're engaging. Uh, you've got to have people in this sort of service leadership that speak the truth in love, that are honest and above board. Uh, they are not addicted to much wine. Uh, when we saw this uh, with the spiritual leaders, 
Uh, I told you at the time that I like to kind of tongue-in-cheek translate this as not a wino. Uh, The literal wording means not alongside wine. And the best way to think of this is somebody that constantly has an alcoholic beverage in their hand. Uh, You never see them without it. Uh, That's a problem. Uh, They, as our English Standard Version goes, they seem to have an addiction issue, don't they? And I think we are reasonable when we extend this out in our own application of this to any type of mind-altering substance. We don't want the people who are taking care of church business having an addiction problem. That is not very stable. And so let's not have that. Uh, It says here, not greedy for dishonest gain. Now, since these deacons are probably going to be taking care of financial issues quite a bit, uh, that's really important. Uh, We don't need deacons that might be uh, embezzling from church funds. Uh, That would not be appropriate. Verse number 9 does touch on the need that these guys are spiritually grounded. Now, when we were talking about the spiritual leadership, they have a requirement to be able to teach. You don't see that here because some of these people, their giftedness may not have to do with teaching. Uh, Their giftedness might have to do with something they do with their hands but they still need to be solid Christians. Verse number nine, they must hold the mystery of the faith. Remember, I've told you that the word mystery comes from Greek as well, mysterion. And it's uh, not a whodunit. It's about top secret information, which is then decoded and understood by those in the know, part of the group, part of the inside group. So deacons should understand the basics of the faith. So they must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. So they must believe, for example, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. They must believe that he was incarnate God. They must believe he was born of a virgin. They must believe that he died for sin after a perfect life. They must believe that he bodily resurrected on the third day, that he ascended on high, that he is at the right hand of the Father. Basically, they need to believe the New Testament truth. And so that's very important when you're deciding who should be in service leadership uh, in the congregation. Verse 10, I, I really like this one. Let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. So you see people in the congregation that have an aptitude and they meet a lot of the other qualifications here, Uh, but they've never really done anything for the church before. Well, give them a chance. Give them an assignment. Let them run with it. Let Let us see how they do. And if they 
pass that test, if they do well, uh, then give them more responsibility. Uh, maybe at first they're one of the helping deacons, and then later they can be one of the leading deacons, one of the supervisory deacons to take care of business. Uh, we don't want to throw someone in uh, and just let them drown in a responsibility like this. Check them out. Make sure they work out well. And by the way, every once in a while, you might have somebody you thought was going to do good at this, and you give them this test, and they don't. Well, it's better that they fail at a little thing than to fail when they've been put in charge of a big thing. So let's be pragmatic about this as the scripture kind of tells us. Verse number 11 is a problem for me when I'm looking at my English Standard Version uh, because it starts off in verse 11, their wives likewise. The word there is not in the Greek text. I'm going to just be quite blatant about that. Uh, if it had been, I would agree with this translation. But actually what it says is women likewise. That's all it says, women likewise. And so my natural reading of this, and there are English versions that agree uh, with this, uh, this take as well, is that we are now talking specifically about female deacons, female servants, or deaconesses. And we have an example uh, very prominent in chapter 16 of the book of Romans uh, that we've already studied in our journey this time through. And uh, her name was Phoebe. And she was a diaconai, or diacona, uh, a deaconess of the church at Cancria the port city on the south side of the Corinthian Isthmus. Um, she was the one that apparently carried the book of Romans from uh, the Greek area to Rome. Uh, early church history also describes this office of deaconess. And so this is not a matter of... of additional qualifications put on the wife of a deacon, this is actually just zeroing in on some of the same sort of qualities, parallel qualities, that the female variety of the servant of the church should have. Now, I know I've already made a whole bunch of you uncomfortable because you kind of grew up in a church, maybe you're part of a church congregation right now, that won't allow women to be deacons. And I'm going to tell you, this is probably the reason you do that, because you have an unscriptural approach to church leadership. The, the church is not led by a board of elders, as if they're the senate of the church, and a board of deacons, as if they are the house of representatives for the church. And then the preacher is some sort of uh, prime minister or president uh, of the church. The elders of the church are the spiritual leaders of the church. 
And the deacons of the church are the ones that get the logistical things done so that the spiritual leaders don't have to be distracted by that stuff. And so church boards shouldn't be about voting on things and uh, deacons being uh, there to be in some sort of leadership that ladies can't be part of. That's just not part of uh, the teaching in Scripture. So let's understand that the deacon's responsibility is to go after stuff for the church. And we have a lot of ladies chomping at the bit to go after things for the church. And we should let them run with it, provided they meet these standards that we see here in Scripture. So verse 11 is actually a re- uh, stating of what we saw uh, in verse number eight that was about deacons generically, but deacons men-wise. Uh, it says, the women likewise must be dignified, so they should be respectable, uh, not, you know, fringy types. Uh, then, instead of the double-tongued of verse eight, we see here, not slanderers. Uh, the word slander uh, has the idea of telling untruths, saying nasty things about other people. So we don't want ladies that are undignified, and we don't want ladies in these roles that are always chewing people up with what they say. Uh, but instead, they should be sober-minded. Now, that's a parallel to the idea of not addicted to much wine, uh, so you want these ladies to have a balanced life, uh, both in uh, their physical life, but also in their mental life. And then it says that they should be faithful in all things. And uh, in our verse 8, that was not greedy for dishonest gain. So there's something to be said here again about the idea that they should be trustworthy to keep everything on the up and up. Uh, these ladies that are deaconesses in the church uh, should have no problem dealing with church funds, uh, just like uh, anyone that we make a deacon, male deacon in the church, should have no problem utilizing church funds. Verse number 12, which some of this sounds similar uh, to the things we saw about the spiritual leaders. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife. And I'm not going to totally repeat myself here, but uh, this is not about polygamy because polygamy was illegal in the Roman Empire. So that was not an issue. This is about faithfulness to the spouse you have. And so all the deaconesses, or, or excuse me, all the deacons should be one woman men. They should be totally devoted to the wife they have. And the same would be true, by the way, just a gender flip for the deaconesses. They should be one man women. Um, now, do they have to be married? I don't think that's what Paul's trying to communicate here. Uh, after all, Paul himself remained single and even advised it as a very uh, good lifestyle to have, especially in view 
of the crisis uh, time where um, having a spouse, having a family uh, during a time of persecution makes it really difficult uh, to serve uh, without concerns about those uh, people in your family. So I believe that we should look at this as if they are married, they have been faithful to those spouses. Uh, If they're not married and they choose to get married, then they need to remain faithful to those spouses. Now, again, I'll mention this. If they had uh, divorces uh, that were not appropriate during the time that they were Christians, I do think that would tend to disqualify them. But if they had divorces before they became Christians, I don't think that would necessarily disqualify them uh, to serve as uh, deaconesses or deacons, because after all, uh, he who is a Christian is a new creature in Christ. So all things have been made new. So let these uh, deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For, because there's a connection to this, verse 13, for those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So if you've got deacons or deaconesses whose personal lives are out of control, that is, they got problems with their spouses or they got problems with their minor kids. We saw this uh, when we were talking last session about the spiritual leaders, the, the shepherds, the overseers. If they can't keep their minor children under control, how are they supposed to look after, you know, the children of the Lord in the house of the Lord, in, in the body of Christ? I mean, if you can't, if you can't uh, control just a handful of preschoolers and, middle, and uh, elementary kids and middle schoolers and junior and high school kids, what makes you think you're going to control a church full of sometimes very immature, uh, very often new believers? So deacons and deaconesses should be evaluated about how stable their home life is. If it's not stable, don't put them into this type of leadership, into this type of responsibility. Let them get that sorted out first, because when they're coming here to serve officially as a gopher of the church, as somebody that's running after the affairs of the church, they need to do that well and to be focused on it. Um, And uh, those that do that well are going to be um, valuable. They will have this good standing uh, in the church, Uh, and uh, they are also going to um, promote the faith. Because if, if the church is stable, both in its spiritual pursuits, that would be under the auspices of the uh, elders, the shepherd teachers, the pastors, if, if it's stable spiritually, that's a good sign of health, and it will advance the gospel. Uh, if, if the logistics of the church are being well taken care of, they are well orchestrated, uh, nothing's fallen between the cracks. Uh, each 
of the different areas, uh, like uh, taking care of the building, taking care of the people that are shut in, taking care of, of getting the word out uh, about who needs what, when, and where. If that's being taken care of as well, then the church is going to be healthy. And because of that health, the gospel will be promoted better. Verse 14, and this is where we'll kind of wrap up today, 14 and 15. I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. So at this particular moment, Paul is anticipating dropping back by Ephesus, I think more than likely before he took off to Spain. Now, when we get into the letter to Titus that I think is written shortly after 1 Timothy, it appears as if his itinerary plans have changed by that moment because he's planning on spending the winter at Neapolis, which is on the west side, the Roman peninsula side of the Greek peninsula. And so I think that uh, some plans will change between this verse and the book of Titus. Uh, But this is all written down to help Timothy know how to keep the church running well, because it is the church of the living God, a pillar and a buttress of the truth. And we need to promote good, healthy congregations by following these directives.